0: Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we look at South Africa, a country which merges both the old and the new, a very modern, new winemaking country, but one whose history goes back centuries. And it's had a very turbulent up and down history, the country itself as well as the wine industry. South Africa was first settled by the Dutch which is why Dutch or Afrikaans is still one of the major languages of the country. And vines were first planted in the 1650s, nearly 400 years ago. And South Africa's wine industry flourished uh, quite happily and one of the first great wines of the so-called new world not from Europe was Constancia and this came from just south of Cape Town and was a sweet wine mainly made from Muscat de Frontignan and this was considered one of the great wines of the world rich and luscious and sweet and drunk in the courts of Europe and considered the equal of Tokai so a very high standing indeed and this was in the 1700s going into the early 1800s and so famous was this wine, that it's mentioned by Jane Austen, one of the few drinks that she actually mentions by name, and also by Charles Dickens. And it's seen as uh, having medicinal effects as well, because it's something that was sweet and rich, and that would just uh, treat some ailments, as well as being a high quality sweet wine in its own right. So South Africa's industry was in a healthy state, And it had also benefited from favourable tariffs to the United Kingdom, which it was very closely affiliated with. But those tariffs were removed in 1861 by Gladstone, the British Prime Minister at the time. And South Africa's wine industry went into decline, especially when Phylloxera hit as well. So its market was gone and then it it had the Phylloxera issue. So at the time that it was recovering from Phylloxera, it didn't have those ready export markets to um, help it uh, flourish again. And so the 20th century became a very difficult one for South African wine. In 1918, the KWV was founded, which was more or less a cooperative, government owned, which was um, designed to help farmers by fixing the prices. And so until 1998, they were allowed to determine the production quotas, fixing the minimum prices, and determining the production areas and the limits of those areas. And so this really. um, Prevented private producers from um, really establishing their own businesses because everything was fixed: where the wines were made, where the grapes came from, what the prices were. But it, it benefited bulk growers who knew each year exactly what prices they would get, and it didn't encourage the uh, production of quality wine because the prices didn't weren't worth it. And this at the same time as apartheid, which um, came into being in the late 1930s and lasted until uh, 1990. And apartheid was um, economically very damaging to South Africa because of outside sanctions preventing the products South African products from being exported, also um, favouring white farmers who simply had their prices fixed and no encouragement to um, diversify or to be entrepreneurs. And also of course prevented the large black majority population. From having their own businesses and um, driving the economy on. And so, when South Africa emerged from apartheid and democracy in 1994, uh, South Africa was a poor country and it hasn't um, got much richer since then either. There has been um, misgovernment at the highest level, lack of education for South Africans has really stopped the economy growing. Um, ironically, the South African wine industry has huge labour shortages, and although there's 25% unemployment in South Africa, the um, level of education means that they, there aren't enough people that can be hired, so really a um, static paradox there. So South African's wine industry in the 20th century was mainly for the production of brandies. So that's what grapes were grown for, and what wine was made was would have been quite simple, usually white and usually off dry or even a little bit sweeter for everyday drinking habits. Before apartheid fell, there was a small revival in quality of South African wine as some producers focused on producing good quality wine, really focusing on site and grape variety, rather than just bulk volume wines. And this was going back to South Africa's roots, because one of the producers was called Klein Constantia, which was part of the property of the original Constantia. And their aim was to replicate that great sweet wine and bring it to the attention of the world. And they succeeded. And... um, a fantastic wine which is extremely age-worthy and well worth um, seeking out. But once apartheid fell and dem- democracy came in, that small revival became much more central to South Africa's wine industry and there was much more focus on quality. However, the South African wine industry as it burst into the world was mainly about inexpensive wine. Which was aided because south africa is a poor country so everything is quite cheap anyway so very good value wines and that's what south africa has become associated with and now it's what south africa has to do is move away from that image of inexpensive wine and show that it actually produces extremely good quality wine as well and that's part of the challenge that south africa faces there's some fantastic wine being made in south africa but domestic consumers are unwilling to pay um, much drink wine. Anecdotal evidence suggests that the highest people will pay in South Africa is about 100 Rand, which is only seven dollars. So that's a very low ceiling which people are reluctant to uh, push beyond. This also means that it's difficult for South African producers to invest in expensive equipment because they're not getting enough money for their own wine. And then internationally there is that challenge of persuading people to spend more on South African wine, that it's not just inexpensive everyday drinking wine, and that you should spend as much as you do on other countries. So there's lots of challenges for the South African wine industry to face, but there are certainly enough producers willing to rise to that challenge and promote high quality South African wine around the world. And there have been a lot of changes in recent years. Most areas were planted to white grapes because of the um, drinking habits of South Africans and also because it's for brandy. Uh, but now a lot more black grapes are planted which makes sense because south africa has a warm climate at the same time producers have looked towards cooler sites to make a greater range of wines so That's not just full-bodied red wines so looking towards the southern tips of south africa which have cooling breezes from the atlantic ocean and also coming up from the antarctic we'll look a bit at that in a bit more detail when we look at the south african wine regions and also of course focusing on the correct variety grown in the correct place environment and uh, climate. And also um, making sure that yields are reduced. South Africa getting high yields is not very difficult so really looking for more difficult soils, difficult terrain to get those yields down and also great varieties which don't aren't necessarily high yielding. And then in general just a focus on making quality wine in the winery. Maybe some very simple changes that we, we might take for granted in more developed countries but very important changes nonetheless which are driving South African wine Upwards in terms of quality. So let's just look at two important grape varieties in South Africa. So, Chenin Blanc has always been extremely important, planted all around the country, and in fact, there's more Chenin Blanc planted in South Africa than there is in the rest of the world put together. And this was a grape variety that was used for brandy or was used for the off dry, medium dry white wine for domestic consumption. And Chenin Blanc is a grape which it's really versatile and adapts to different climates, which is why it works in South Africa. It keeps the acidity, freshness, without necessarily getting that much complexity because it's quite warm. The irony of uh, using the Chenin Blanc for just simply for brandy production and for inexpensive wine and not really taking care of the vines and not replanting is that now South Africa has quite a number of old vine Chenin Blanc vineyards. And these are dry farmed, no irrigation, deep root system, well-established vines, which now are producing really high-quality white wine, again, in the right hands. And that's because the ripening is much slower, the the retention of acidity is higher, and the concentration and structure of the wines is greater. So although 50 years ago these vines weren't producing particularly good quality wine, now they are. Neglect has favoured them. And so these wines, which are planted all around uh, the growing region of South Africa, which is concentrated in the Western Cape where, you um, again, more of the ocean influence, more Mediterranean climate. But these Chenin Blanc vines are generally planted where it's quite warm, because that's where it would have been very easy to grow the grapes, if you're just looking for those simple wines. And this means the wines that have been produced now from the old vines are quite different from those of the Loire Valley. The alcohol is higher, the acidity isn't as high. One winemaker described, Chenin Blanc in South Africa to me is not having high acidity, but a perception of high acidity, because there's a real viscosity to the wines, which makes the wines really fresh. There's a waxiness to the wines, as you would expect, rather like Chenin Blanc in Loire Valley, but there's also stone and maybe even tropical fruit aromas, so a fruitier style. There's a real concentration to the best old vine Chenin Blanc, and that's one way that South African producers can present South Africa as um, unique. No one else has these old vine Chenin Blanc, and also show that the quality of South African wine even the white wine in the warm climate is really good. The other important grape variety is Pinotage. And this is where things get a little controversial because people have very strong opinions about Pinotage. It's always been very rare to find um, really good Pinotage. In fact, it's always been a lot easier to find really bad Pinotage. So what is Pinotage and why does it have this bad reputation? Well, it's a crossing of uh, Pinot Noir and Sanso by A.I. Perold, And that was made... at. Created in 1925. Pretty random you know, crossing. Pinot Noir is the grape variety of Burgundy, Sanso, the grape variety of Southern Rhone, quite an obscure one. But there was a lot of Sanso planted in South Africa because it's a high yielding grape in the warm climate, so farmers like to work with it. So he crossed the two. At the time, Sanso was known as Hermitage for unknown reasons because Sanso has no connection with the Hill of Hermitage. And Pinot Noir plus Sanso slash Hermitage equals Pinotage. And it wasn't until 1961 that Pinotage actually appeared on a label. And then in the 1970s, a group of British wine writers went over to South Africa, tasted the Pinotage. It was dreadful, and that's where Pinotage's bad reputation started. And it wasn't the only favors that most of the Pinotage being produced was inexpensive wine that hadn't really been taken proper care of in the vineyard, because Pinotage is quite particular. So I have tasted some very good Pinotage. There's not that much of it, but those producers that really take care and work carefully with Pinotage are capable of producing really good wine. So, what are the disadvantages of Pinotage and how do producers combat those disadvantages? Well, first of all, Pinotage is a high yielding grape, so you've got to control the yield. So, planting on difficult soils which are more infertile is important and trying to stress those vines. Also, before Veraison, the berries do ripen unevenly so you can have um, a mixture of size where some of the berries are really developing and others aren't. So canopy management can be important, just pulling the canopy back before the raison to allow some of those berries to get a bit bigger and a bit riper before the raison sets in. And then also in the winery it's important. Pinotage is um, Quite low in malic acid, so putting pinotage through malolactic fermentation, as all red wines do, can really lose acidity, and the wines can become quite flabby. And so, one producer I talked to, uh, Nipperieks, which is arguably the best producer of pinotage in South Africa, he actually um, acidifies the uh, the grape must with malic acid, so that when it goes through malolactic fermentation, it uh, maintains the acidity and it's still fresh. And so of manipulation there that maybe some winemakers would be against, but the Pinotage is that style of grape where you've got to work with it and against it, as it were. So if you don't make Pinotage well, it will have these rubbery dry paint aromas, and that's coming from those really uneven tannins if the grapes are ripening unevenly, and it will have that flabbiness from the lack of acidity, and also have really chocolate coffee aromas which can be exaggerated. Some Pinotage producers, again this is inexpensive stuff, make um, pinotage that deliberately tastes like coffee and it's really really bad and again damages the reputation of both pinotage and south african wine also important is how uh, the wine is aged if you're using new oak either french or american judiciously so you're giving more structure to the wines whereas no oak or just using oak chips or whatever just makes means the wine it doesn't have the structure. So Pinotage, like any, any other grape variety, really depends on how it's handled. If it's treated badly, you get a bad wine. If you treat it well, you can get a higher quality wine. And you'll probably never have the cachet of uh, other black grape varieties in South Africa, but there is some decent stuff out there. And it is South Africa's signature grape variety, for better or for worse, because no one else produces it. So that's an overview of South Africa. In the next episode, we'll look at the different regions of South Africa. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.